I want you to turn with me over to, uh, well, we'll start in Matthew chapter 24. Turn there. We'll start with those verses we've begun this series with, I believe, every week so far. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. Jesus, on the last days of his ministry on earth, getting close to the end, he was there with his disciples. And in Matthew 24, in verse 1, it says, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now what I'd like to do this morning do a little review because I know a lot of you, well, some of you anyway, were not here in past weeks. So I want to kind of catch you up to speed without eating too much into the rest of the message and going forward in this series. I've entitled this section today, The Tribulation Trouble Intensifies. The Tribulation Trouble Intensifies. Now, let's do first things first. Number one is this, we as believers, in other words, I'm talking to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior. We as believers are today looking for the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church, it means the catching away of the church. What do you mean catching away? Where Jesus is going to come, we'll look at the scriptures in just a minute, he's going to catch the believers, he's going to take the believers. Actually, one of the, the, the word there where it says uh, caught up, as we are going to see, one of the meanings of it means to take by force. Now, I get excited about that because Jesus is going to come for his children and he is going to take us by force out of this world. There's all kinds of things that go through my mind when I think of that, but that's really exciting. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What we saw in Matthew, Jesus was talking about this time coming, this period of tribulation. It's seven years, as I'll say again during this message today. But the church age, the period of time, the so well, let's say 2,000 years or so that we live in today, this period of time was unknown at this point in history. It was a mystery, okay? It wasn't a truth yet revealed. And so when Jesus talks about the coming tribulation period, okay, they did not know how long this would be until they went into this period of time. And of course, we can look back now and say, well, it's been probably about 2,000 years since then or around there. And we don't know for sure when Jesus is gonna take the church out, but when Jesus talks about Matthew 24, as we're going to see later in the message about him coming, he's not talking about coming again at the rapture. He's talking about coming again at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. So keep that in mind, okay? But we as believers are looking for something that was not taught at this point in the Bible. We're looking for something we call the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul says this in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit in corruption. Simply put, you can't go to heaven the way you are. Do you get it? You can't go to heaven the way you are. Now, you know, you can take a pig out of the mud and you can say, oh, you know what? I want to do some uh, cleaning up of this pig. 
and you can get that pig and you can hose them down, you can spray them down, and you can, uh, you know, you can clean them up. And, and if it's a female pig, you know, put a pink bow on the tail or something like this and, you know, maybe spray it down with some perfume like Canal Number no. 5 or something like that. I know it's Chanel Number no. 5. Okay. <laughs> canal Number no. 5 or, or, or better yet, maybe put some Arpiggy on that pig. <laughs> And get that pig to where it looks really good and, oh, it's nice and clean. And, you know, you cleaned up the outside. And you know what, friend? You let that pig go. And what's that pig going to do? Go right back into the slop. Why? It's his nature. Okay. Listen, we are surrounded by slop. And to some extent, we enjoy it. All right. The slop of this world system. Here's what God says. For you to go to heaven... You, you, it's not a matter of cleaning yourself up because our bodies, our being, are not designed for heaven. Jesus said in John 3, you have to be born again. It's a spiritual birth from above. The word again there actually means from above. It doesn't just mean a second time. It means from above. Now, it is a second birth, but without the second birth, you'll never go to heaven. And it's not something that you get by doing good works. It's something that God gives you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. This I say, brethren, that notice he's talking to believers. So this promise is to those who have trusted Christ as Savior. This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a what? A mystery. It was a truth not revealed until the proper time. So Paul says, I'm going to let you in on something. This is new. It says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, be dead physically, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed, okay? Those of us who are living when Jesus comes back, we are gonna be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. God is going to take this body we are living in and he is going to transform it into a brand new spiritual body like Jesus had when he came back from the dead. And he's gonna take us to heaven. Now, not only is he gonna do that for us, he's also gonna do that for those who have already died. You might say, well, wait a minute. I thought when believers die, they go to heaven. They do. Let me explain it to you, okay? Look with me over to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Turn in your Bible there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're looking for the rapture of the church, the rapture, the catching away of the church. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, it says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, And with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Some people say, well, why do the dead rise first? Okay, well, maybe one reason is because they have six feet further to go. You know, they got to catch up with us. I don't know. I'm not serious about that. But for the, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, okay? Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we see in verse 14, which we won't read, we see that when Jesus comes back, he's going to bring with him all those believers who have lived during the church age. They're coming back with him, 
to be reunited with their bodies that are going to be resurrected, changed into a glorified spiritual body. They will meet their new bodies. We will go with them to meet Jesus. We'll all be together. And then he's going to take us back to heaven. He is not going to come all the way to earth. He's going to call us out to meet him in the air. You notice that in verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. The believers who have died in Christ who are coming back with Jesus and we're gonna meet the Lord in the air. That's why it differs from the second coming to earth because Jesus is gonna come all the way back then. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so we are looking for the rapture. Okay, one of my uh, Bible college teachers, he used to say, he says, we're not looking for the undertaker, we're looking for the upper taker. Okay, that's Jesus. Now, secondly, after the rapture comes this seven-year tribulation period. And this is what Matthew, really, Matthew 24 focuses on. As we have already seen in Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14 and following, this seven-year tribulation period will be the worst time, as we'll see today, that the world has ever seen. It'll be a period of time of great deception, false teaching. There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be famines, pestilences, which are incurable diseases. There's going to be lawlessness. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be entrapment of believers. We'll look a lot more at that today. Supernatural, cosmic disasters are going to take place and events. And yet there also will be during that period of time, a great harvest of people coming to know Christ as their savior. And some of these issues will be increasing in our world leading up to that time as that time gets closer. Would anyone but a total denier say that we're not seeing those things happening in the world in which we live today? We're seeing them increase? All of those things, incurable diseases, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, earthquakes all over the planet going on. Wars, okay? Persecution of Christians is already. The greatest group of people today who are being persecuted in the world are Christians. Did you know that? And it's increasing, 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 especially with places like communist China, who have really, really clamped down on believers and are persecuting them. And this is all leading up to the tribulation period. So it isn't something that there's nothing, there's none of this, and then the tribulation period begins and all of a sudden all of it's there full blown. No, that's not the way it is. These are like birth pangs to a pregnant woman coming up. We see them coming up and we're getting close as we get to that tribulation period. Now remember, the church, and I don't mean a denomination, I'm talking about all those who have trusted Christ as Savior worldwide, they're going to be taken out of the world before the seven-year period begins. Number three, the tribulation period to come, excuse me, for the tribulation period to come, the Jews must be back in the land of Israel. Now, we've touched on this a little bit, but I want you to see another passage dealing with this back in the book of Jeremiah. So turn there to Jeremiah chapter 30. Remember, Jeremiah was written over 600 years before Jesus came. And this is written, and this is talking about a time way down the road of history. 
when the Jews would come back in the land and they would be coming back to the land for the last days. In other words, the days that we are talking about prophetically, which we are very, very, well, we're in the last days, but particularly they're going to be coming back for that time of tribulation period. But for the tribulation to take place, the Jews have to be back in the land. Jeremiah 30, verse 3, it says this, For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord. Watch this. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. May 14th, 1948. This is exactly what we saw, okay? May 14th, 1948. Formally, this took place. Look at verse four. And these are the words of the Lord that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not of peace. Do you see that? It's a very turbulent time. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail and all faces are turned into paleness. This will be a time of intense suffering that comes upon the world. Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved or delivered out of it here. Jacob is referring to the nation of Israel, okay? Jacob's name was changed to Israel later on in the book of Genesis. Now, I was just uh, browsing some things the other day, and this one kind of came to me. I don't even know where, how I came across it, but I thought it was fascinating. Listen to this. This is current events, June 17th, 2020, out of the Jerusalem Post, which is the main newspaper in Israel. Quote, the the Israeli government estimates that 90,000 Jews will immigrate to Israel in the next 18 months. This is, you are seeing prophecy fulfilled before your eyes, friend. Let's wake up. I continue. The Jewish agency, Nefesh Nefesh Kalita, and other organizations dealing with Aliha, have all stated of late that, listen to this one, that the COVID-19 pandemic has prompted a large spike in the number of Jews expressing interest in immigrating, unquote. Who would have ever thunk it? COVID-19 would accelerate Jews coming back to the nation of Israel? Maybe the Lord says, you know what? I want you to come back faster because the tribulation period needs to come which means for us that that means the rapture is that much sooner. Are you excited? I'm excited. I'm excited. Which leads us to number four today. During this period of time, once the church is taken out of the world, someone we call the Antichrist is going to emerge during this time who will become the ruler of the world. I don't know if it is the chaos of the rapture taking place, millions of people missing all over the planet, traffic going haywire, doctors missing, nurses missing, professionals missing all over the planet, many preachers missing, whole congregations just about missing all of a sudden in a moment in the twinkling of an eye when the rapture takes place. There is going to be chaos and maybe this will be the thing that accelerates him into his position. 
He will be emerging during this time and he will become the ruler of the world. He will seem to have the answers to the world's problems and how to have unity among the nations of the world. The book of Daniel says he's gonna come in peaceably, though. He's gonna come in peaceably. He will seem to bring order out of chaos. He will bring in a seven-year temporary peace treaty to the Middle East, which we already covered that when we talked about the 70th week of Daniel and that the Antichrist would sign this seven-year or confirm this covenant with many for one week or a period of seven years. This is coming. This is coming. Now you might say, well, so who is he? Who is he? Let me give you a little friendly counsel. Don't waste your time. He's not going to be revealed until after the rapture. Now, you can guess, but don't think, well, you know what? I don't care if there's 7 billion people in the world. I'm going to be the one to unveil the Antichrist before the rapture. Okay? You are wasting your life. Friend, time is life. You got, you, there's better things for us to do. I think if the Lord says, look, he's not going to be revealed to the world until after the rapture, I think what he's telling us is don't waste your time don't come up with all these articles and it's this one and, and make these high, high level production videos on who it is and this is why this is the one and, and all these kind of things. Now I know we may have some people who watch us who will say, well, no, but we should be doing, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Know the basic outline, know the things that are coming. That's fine because how do we know it's good to know these things? Because it's in the Bible. God left it for us to know. But don't go beyond what the Bible tells us. Don't go beyond that. Now, can you have, you can guess, but don't go any further than guessing and don't make an issue of it. Don't, don't tell your guess to everybody, okay? Now, what's gonna happen? Well, he will be ruling during that time, but leads us to our next point. Somewhere close to the halfway point of the tribulation period, which would be three and a half years in, the Antichrist is going to receive a fatal wound, a fatal wound, Okay. God will allow him to be resurrected. Remember, the Antichrist is indwelt by Satan himself. God is going to allow him to be resurrected. Okay. Now, this may be the thing that, and, and again, we don't know. We can only uh, think about this. But this may be the thing that gives him such confidence to go into the temple that will be on the Temple Mount and claim himself to be God and to be worshipped as God because he will have resurrected. An antichrist, one in the place of Christ, a counterfeit of Jesus Christ. This is a possibility, all right? Let me show you something here. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 13. And this is where it really, really comes down to the days in which we live. Revelation chapter 13. Now, I know there's different thoughts about whether his wound is really a mortal wound or it's talked about as a mortal wound. You know, some say, well, he can't really be resurrected because you can't do that. But um, you can't put God in a box and what he allows and what he doesn't allow. The tribulation period, friends, will be an unprecedented time of supernatural happenings, supernatural things, unbelievable deception. There will be miracles. There will be false prophets. The level of demon possession and demon activity will be unprecedented during that period of time. Revelation 13, it says this, and I stood upon the sand of the sea, 
And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. And by the way, I believe this is the Antichrist. And if you, if you want more details on Revelation 13, I recommend that you go watch or listen to our series on Revelation, where we go verse by verse, where we spend more time on it. It says, and I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, 10 horns, and upon his horns, 10 crowns, and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw, again, I think it's the Antichrist, the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as a bear, and his mouth was the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power. The dragon is the devil. The dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Great authority. See, the Bible talks about Satan being the God, little g, of this world. He runs the world system. Okay, verse three, and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded. Okay, so this beast, remember, he's got seven heads, 10 horns, one of the heads. So the Antichrist is one of these leaders, but he ends up emerging as the head leader, the dictator of the world. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. They were amazed by the beast. Verse four, and they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, okay? So they worshiped the devil and they worshiped the Antichrist, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Do you see why I link this with him going into the temple and claiming himself to be God and to be worshiped as God? The people are promoting it even. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. I'm God. That's about as big of a blasphemy as you can get. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. How many months is that in years? Three and a half. So all this takes place right about midway during the tribulation period, which would point to this being linked to him going into the temple, defiling it, claiming to be God and to be worshiped as God. Which leads us to our next point. This will lead to the abomination of desolation, which is what I've been referring to, him going into the temple. I know we spent a lot of time on this already, but the abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist goes into the temple in Jerusalem, which, by the way, has not yet been built in our time, but has been ready to be built for decades, and claims himself to be God and to be worshiped as God. Second Thessalonians 2 tells us a lot more about that. We're not going to turn there because of time. Again, go, listen, watch Second Thessalonians, our series on 2 Thessalonians as we go verse by verse. Now back to Matthew 24, which is kind of home-based during this series. And it says in Matthew 24, verse 15, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. And we're gonna pause there to move on to our next point, which is this. What's gonna happen during the tribulation, now I don't know if this is before, or I don't know if this is at the beginning of the tribulation or midway through. I don't know. I'm not sure. I've read a lot. I've studied this a lot. I don't know when this is going to take place. But here is what's going to happen during a tribulation period. Man will be forced to pledge allegiance 
to the Antichrist and to worship him. He'll be forced. Those who, who do will receive what's called the mark of the beast. This will enable people to buy and sell and carry on commerce in the world. So you are not going to be able to, well, let's look at it. Revelation 13. It says this, and he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads and that no man might buy or sell save he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is 603 score and six. We're not gonna go into a big thing on what that means and all that because really no one for sure knows what that means. But here is the point. You won't be able to buy and sell unless you have the mark. Now to me, that sounds a lot like you won't be able to buy and sell unless you have the mask. Do you realize how bizarre that is? You can go into a store you've been going into for over 20, 30, 40 years And they say, sorry, you don't have a mask. You can't come in here. You can't buy anything here. We can't sell you anything here if you don't have the mark. I mean the mask. Now, the mask is not the mark. Because this is something that is put in your right hand or in your forehead. Now, I know there's a gazillion articles out there on how this can be done and how it's going to be done and all of that, all we can do is speculate. We don't know for sure. Yes, there's possibilities. The chips that they have now, the things that look like a grain of rice and, and being injected under the skin and all of that, I know that's the technology's there. That brings with it some issues. Uh, let somebody, you know, what if somebody got it and then they decide they don't want it anymore? Do they you know, get their X-Acto knife and cut it out of their hand. Now they're no longer dealing with, I mean, you see what I'm saying? You can think about this stuff and, and never sleep again. Here's the point. Whatever it is, it's going to happen. And I think my opinion, that's all it is. I'll step over here on that. This is my opinion. This is not Bible truth. But I think that this thing of not being able to buy or sell unless you have the mask, is a conditioning for the mark. It's the same idea, it's just a little bit more casual, if you know what I mean, a little bit more casual. But this is coming. Now, if you do not pledge allegiance to the Antichrist and worship him, you are not going to be allowed, and in that, you're receiving the mark of the beast. If you don't do that, you are gonna be locked out of society. You will not be able to work. You will not be able to buy or sell. And all of this points to the idea of a cashless society. Because as long as you have cash in your hand, you can do a certain level of commerce. But if there is no cash to trade hands, if it all has to do with the banking system, whether it's through cards or or your chip in your hand or whatever it may be, and you don't have it, you don't have anything. Well, I've got a million dollars in the bank. Yeah, but you can't get to it because they locked you out. It's coming. It's coming. Those who don't submit will be hunted. They will be persecuted. And many will die a martyr's death. Okay? Which leads us to our next point. This will not only be practical as far as buying and selling, but it's going to also be spiritual in nature. And friend, this is worse than the practical aspect. 
Let me show you what I mean. You're in Revelation 13. Go to chapter 14. When you receive the mark of the beast, you are sealing your eternal destiny. You might say, how does that all fit in? Every I, I don't know every detail in this. I'm just taking the Bible for what it says. Revelation 14, 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image... And that is what you are pledging allegiance to when you receive the mark. And receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into a cup of his indignation. And he, the one who receives, shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. This next phrase they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So, receiving it is the same as worshiping the beast. You see, they're put together, they're put together. So, when you receive the mark, you are pledging allegiance to worship him. Maybe, in fact, you're saying, yes, I believe that the Antichrist is the Messiah. Here's the point, though. You put your faith in him, you're not going to go to heaven. You'll never be there, and as a matter of fact, you'll suffer forever in hell, and you will never have forever and ever and ever, not a moment of rest. You will suffer in agony forever and ever and ever. Let that sink in. If you receive the mark, your destiny is sealed. This is serious, and it's coming to a world near you. Now, along with this, go back to Matthew 24 with me. There will come a new level of persecution against the Jews and also against Christians. Now, I know the question comes up, and I can't tackle it today because of time, but I'll give you the answer briefly, and you can check it out on your own. You can write down these two passages, Revelation 7, Revelation 14, all right? Because the question comes up, well, wait a minute. If all the believers are taken out of the world at the rapture and there's no believers left, then how are so many people going to get saved during this tribulation period? Well, the answer is this. There are people who will have been witnessed to before the rapture takes place And I believe these people are going to know when the rapture takes place, they were right. They'll put their faith in Christ as their savior. Not only that, but some of those who do that, the Bible tells us, and only God can pull this off. There will be 144,000 Jewish evangelists, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, all men, all men who have never known a woman, according to scripture, and these men will be evangelizing around the globe for the seven-year tribulation period. I think they're Jews who got witnessed to before the rapture. The rapture takes place. They come to faith in Christ, and then they go out and they start preaching the gospel. And these 144,000 Jews, these people will be sealed. In other words, they will not be, God will not allow them to die. But many believers will die. And those believers will be the fruit of their ministry, the 144,000's ministry. 
But there's going to be a new level of persecution against the Jews and against Christians. Matthew 24. Now remember verse 15, it was the abomination of desolation. When therefore you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Verse 16. Then when that takes place, unbelievable evil and wickedness and chaos and persecution is going to take place on the planet. Remember, this abomination of desolation takes place in the temple that is yet to be rebuilt. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For, because, then shall be great tribulation. It's bad to this point if we've already seen. But it's going to explode on the scene at the three and a half year point. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened. In other words, it's just a brief period of time. There shall no flesh be saved. Think of that. The world will become such an explosive, chaotic place that God says if those days were not limited to seven years, nobody would be left on the planet. Now, I've in a, in a, uh, in a uh, previous message mentioned to you this truth, that the amount of nuclear arms that we have in the world today can annihilate every person on the planet 10 times over. That's how much power is there. Do you see how this all ties together, friend? This will be the worst time that the world has ever seen. Now, I know some people say, yeah, but what about the flood? What about the flood? This will be more suffering than the flood ever was. That's what Jesus is getting at. He's not saying the flood was not a worldwide catastrophe. It was. Everybody except Noah and his family died and the animals on the ark. This is the suffering level, which is going to be unbelievable. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. The elect meaning the believers during that period. Jesus will come and deliver them out of the tribulation period. Then, now watch. So he gives us that truth. Remember what I told you about the persecution. Then if any man say unto you, lo, here's Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, miracles, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not. Verses 23 and 26, what is it talking about? It's talking about entrapping believers who do not believe in the Antichrist. What can we do to round them up, basically, is the idea. Oh, Jesus is over there. Jesus came and he's in the desert. Jesus came and he, no, no, no. Liars, false prophets, the believers and the Jews, both 
saved and unsaved Jews are going to be hunted and persecuted. Now, why the Jews and the Christians? Well, because they're the people of this book. I'm not saying all Jewish people are saved. I'm saying where are our roots are what? Our roots are in the Old Testament. Is that not true? It is true. It's the Bible, Genesis through Revelation. This will entrap the believers and those who resist the Antichrist. Why did Jesus say that the time coming would be the worst that the world has ever seen? Well, we see that in verses 21 through 22. It's the worst that the world has ever seen. By the way, if you want more information on this, read Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation 19. Oh, I wish we could just start right now and just say, hey, let's just go there and let's just forget about time today and let's just start studying Revelation 6 through 19. Once we get through chapter 19, we'll dismiss. (laughs) But it's not going to happen. Okay. So what does this bring us to? And by the way, do that. Would you do that? Read Revelation 6 through 19. I say, well, I, I can't. Can you take any of it literally? Let me put it this way. There's very little not to take literally. It is literal and you need to take it that way, which leads us to our last point today and is this. Today, today is the day of salvation, dear friend. Listen, I'm just gonna be straight with you. Don't be a fool and reject this. This is reality. This is true. Everything, we see it happening in the world. We see it leading up to this, the chaos, the, the, uh, just all the things that we see in the world, the wars, the pestilence, the famines. It's unraveling, isn't it? Go with me to John chapter 14. Today is the day of salvation. You can be saved. You can be delivered. Not only from the tribulation, more importantly, you can be delivered from hell itself. And there's only one way. There's not many ways. People hear it and they'll say, okay, well, I'm going to shape up. You can shape up every day and you'll never make it to heaven. You don't go to heaven by shaping up. You go to heaven by putting your trust in Jesus Christ as the payment for your sin. We all need a payment. Look at this. This hand representing you and me and my wallet representing our sin. We're all sinners. We need a payment for our sin. See, sin separates us from God. You can't get to heaven with even one sin. To get into heaven, watch this, you have to be sinless and none of us are. Therefore, we are all in the same boat and it is a sinking boat. We are all disqualified. If we pay for our own sin, we'll spend forever separated from God in hell. God doesn't want that for us. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll be good. I'll promise to be good. No, you're not saved by good works either. Remember, you can pile a lifetime of good works on and it just covers the sin. It doesn't take it away. The sin has to be gone. Good works won't do it. Matter of fact, it says right over here, look at it. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves, yet God loves us, does not want us to spend one second separated from him. And so he himself took on flesh, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, this hand representing him. And when he went to the cross, he paid for our sins so that we don't have to. He did it all, did all the work. Every sin has been paid for through the blood of Christ. He died, was buried, rose from the grave, And he says this, if you will believe or trust in him that he made that payment for you, the moment you do, he will give you everlasting life.
What is that? It's a home in heaven for all eternity. It's life that never ends. The very word itself, everlasting, okay? It's two words put together, everlasting. Flip them, lasting, ever. Lasting forever. When you trust in Christ, he gives you that everlasting life. When you do, the payment he made is good on your behalf. You are forgiven of all your sin. No sin. God will not hold it against you. If you have no sin to separate you from God, then you can go to heaven. Yeah. But you have to trust in Christ. Would you do that today? Look at John 14 and verse 1. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Maybe you're troubled today with everything you're hearing. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. People say, you know, when you explain the gospel to them, some people say, well, I believe in God. Well, I like what one man said recently. I heard this. I thought, boy, that's really good. He says, the fact that you believe in God is good. All that means, though, is that you're not an atheist. That's all it means. It takes more than that to go to heaven. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ as the payment for your sin. He is God in the flesh. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house. That's heaven, or many mansions or dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That points to the rapture. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Well, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we... No, he didn't understand what he was saying. He says, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Friend, there is no religion, no cult, no spiritual mindset that will get you to heaven, that will give you everlasting life, except for Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. And say, aren't you afraid to say that? I've never been afraid to say that because that's what Jesus said. I agree with him. <laughs> I'm glad I do. I trust in him and I'm glad I do. And he offers eternal life to you today. Would you trust in him as your savior? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.